It's kind of interesting how he's kind of going back and forth with this a little bit. Remember the, the, the chapters and verses separations are not divinely inspired. Um, and I, I, I kind of almost felt that part of chapter, or at least the first couple of verses of chapter 4, probably belonged to chapter 3, but obviously those, when they compiled this, they didn't, they didn't feel the same way about it. They, they, and, you know, obviously a chapter is usually a, a, a change of topic, change of subject, that type of thing, but it kind of really does blend together um, because he's talking about oppression, and he really is kind of referring back to verse 16 of chapter 3, where it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there, which we did look at actually last week, um, uh, Larry. But <laughs> anyway, we did look at that last week, and... That was really more within the uh, the realm of of things taking place in court, and this idea of oppression. It could be referring to the oppression of uh, those over the oppressed uh, in a court setting, uh, but it may not necessarily be that. Uh, and notice there's no real distinction. You have oppressors and the oppressed. Who are those people? Um, and how do, we, how do we try to glean from this? And I think part of it being rather vague is that verse 4, I'm sorry, verse, chapter 4, verses 1 and, and 2 uh, really, even the three is really could be applied um, in a multiple different sense of applications. So, how do I say this? I don't know. So let's close in prayer. Uh, no. Uh, anyway, um, so. There's a universal aspect to what he's writing. But obviously there are also the outliers, the exceptions to the rule. We've, we've talked about that a few times here. Uh, and and it, I don't think it's valuable for us to take and read these as complete absolutes, 100% always happens, and, and, and go and run with them because I think that's when we have, we, we run into error. Um, and yet, one of the things I thought about too is, is that this is inspired scripture, as I, I keep telling you, and I, some, uh, some, some of you don't, I don't I'm, I'm almost convinced some of you don't believe it, you know, but, but it is inspired scripture. And it's, it's like the person who is the dead the dead set sovereignty of God person, otherwise known as a Calvinist, okay, or even a Reformed. And anytime they read something in the scriptures about free will, they want to temper that and really kind of alter that by going to verses that declare God's sovereignty. And at the same time, 
you have those who are are uh, completely given over to the idea of free will and they they want to completely water down passages that clearly talk about God's sovereignty. That that's really not in my opinion a good way to understand read uh or study and learn the Bible. Uh and 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 I think you have to hold these things in tension. And and to be able to look at that which God has inspired for us in this chapter as sad, as depressing, as dismal as it, it can appear, and, and, and work with what's written rather than try to make it, or well, rather than go to those favorite verses that we have. Um, okay, I was wondering what you were doing there a second, but I'm better rather than to go those favorite verses that we have that we like to gravitate toward. But part of this is a calling for us to live in the fullness of life. You know, I, I, I counted them. Well, I didn't go through every psalm, but I, I, the psalms are interesting because there, there is like 11 psalms of personal lament and 14 songs of corporate lament, totaling of about, what, um, 25. Actually, Psalm 44 is both personal and corporate, so you've got about 24 psalms at least that, that talk about the lamentation, if you will. And then you've got a whole book on it that I know after doing Ecclesiastes, there's no way in the world I'm teaching lamentations. But anyway, um, but... Um, some of those psalms end with a doxology, a praise to God. Some of those psalms end with a doxology because they see something God doing something. Some of those psalms end with a doxology because they're hoping that God will do something. And then some of them... Less than half, I do know that. Um, they just kind of put it out there and describe the situation and leave, leave it in the dismal sense of what the psalmist is, is wrestling with. But there's more that are in with the doxology uh, than, than the ones who just describe the situation as dire. But there are psalms including some that David wrote that describe very difficult situations. So uh, we're back again to this idea of oppressors under the sun. And, and he says, and look, the tears of the oppressed, they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Um, and so what, part of what Solomon now remember, is is Solomon? Now I, I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight, but the 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 last couple of verses in this chapter that Don read uh, are really fascinating to me because it's a comparison between the uh, the poor young ruler and the old, basically dried up ruler, and and so. What you are going to see here in this chapter, you do have comparisons. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But here you have a comparison between the oppressors and the oppressed. Um, 
and in the side of the oppressors there is power. But they have no comforter. Now, the big question is, who is the they in the, at the end of chapter, excuse me, verse 1? They have no comforter. Comforter. I think it's a reference to those who are oppressed, but I don't know for sure. Your mileage may vary. Um, we see this today. Um, we see this in church. Um, I've, I've dealt with more people than I even want to think about that have, have dealt with, with difficult church situations, um, spiritually abusive situations in church. We came out of, well, two of them. It's part of why we're here. It was like, you've got to get out. You know, I've seen this movie before, man. I ain't sticking around for the repeat, right? And, and, and we bailed. Um, and, uh, but but you, ha- have, you have the problem with power and power differentials, because as Lord Acton said, right, I've mentioned it before, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Now, is there a need in our society for power and power differentials? That's where your leadership comes from. So, um, there it is. You want to move that for you? If, if you want, I'll put it for you. Bill's, no, I, not this one. Okay, but I put it next to your row. I know you like it there. So, all right. Um, yeah, that's where your leadership comes in. And, and at times you have to have, you need someone who's in charge. Right, there is a. I knew of a pastor. He described how he oversaw his church as the benevolent dictator. And to me, that's like an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, don't you? Kind of like jumbo shrimp. Um, I'll keep. I'll leave it at that. Um, Military intelligence would be another one, but <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna stop while I'm ahead. Uh, but anyway, uh, you do need power, power differentials for leadership, so that things can, in fact, be done. And and to me, I think that's where. Where you, where you have the, the, the beauty, if you will, of Torah. Because then you have an outside source. Torah is an outside source from whom? God, right? And you have an outside source that essentially oversees even how things like worship in the temple, worship, tabernacle before that, were to be done. Uh, outside sources, uh, company guidelines, military regulations, right? About and how things are done, and so that so that things are not arbitrary. Because when things get to and and, and Bill's told me a few stories of arbitrary leadership uh, when he was in the Navy, uh, and it wasn't his leadership, but it was those above him. I just thought, yeah, this is typical. But anyway, but when things become arbitrary, uh, as they easily can do. 
They really can easily become arbitrary. And when they become arbitrary, God help the leader and those who are being led if, if the desires of the flesh get into the heart of the person who's leading. And Solomon probably knew that there was injustices taking place in his own kingdom. He might have actually been an oppressor at, from time to time. Dare I say it, and I know that he's some of our heroes. He's actually one of my heroes in the Bible. David, at times, was a tyrant, um, was not a perfect man. Um, but he's still, that's the thing, yeah, he's still a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, and he, but, you know, the thing is, if he wasn't, I guess when you really think about David, I wonder what he really would have been like had he not been a man after God's own heart. Um, hard to say. But the, notice, those who are oppressed, they have no comforter. So it's, it, it, it's describing the situation where, and, and I, I think I read it last night, in Proverbs, today's the third, what's today? Thank you. So I think it was Proverbs 13 where I read where it says hope deferred. I'm going to find it. I'm pretty sure I read it last night. It was like, oh, yeah, that one, um, which one of our pastors used to love to refer to. Yeah, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, that is a tree of life. See, when, you, when you're hoping for something, and it's def, what does it mean to defer? It gets put off, and it gets put off, and it gets put off. And sometimes it's put off because of the arbitrariness of those who are in power. And when they do that long enough, we go back to what is described here in Ecclesiastes 4. They become the oppressor. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, they're, they're without comfort. Um, and it says that really twice. The tears of the oppressed, they have no comforter. Uh, on the other side of their oppressors, there is power. There's a big contrast here. But they have no comforter. You know, which there's a lot of different ways to really interpret or, or try to wrap your head around what, what he's really saying in the fullness of that particular verse. Do the, are, are the oppressors themselves oppressed? It could be. It very well could be. Especially, um, there's an old saying about that, but I'm, I'm not going to mention it. It has to do with something rolling downhill. But, I mean, and, but that's, that's the reality of some of this. And, Perhaps they are not uh, receiving any comfort either. And, but so, I mean, what is our response? What is your response personally when you encounter abusive power? I was, I'll, I'll make this even more fun. I was accused of being abusive, probably more than once. Two guys in particular because they were angry because I didn't let them do whatever they wanted to do. 
Now, would that be practical to let them do whatever they wanted to do? I mean, it might be. I could just hand them my key and tell them to have a nice life and lock up the building when they leave, you know, and that's that. But I've, 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 two in particular that I'm thinking of, um, they wanted no limitations. But they saw that as oppressive. They saw that as abusive. I saw that as protecting the whole. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, really, they really, one guy in particular really wanted to be the pastor. Um, and I think if I had allowed him to do that, I would still be wanted. <laughs> By some, some of you. But, um, but, I, but I've seen abuse in churches. I've seen abuse in probably every company I ever worked for. Yes. Yeah. I've seen, but yeah, that's what I mean by seeing it. I've, I've experienced it. Yeah, I'm sure you all have. Um, all the things I'm, that are going through my mind right now. <laughs> I've. I, should, I shouldn't tell you this. I didn't do this. I, I had a coworker. Um, he got. He was just angry with the boss, and he did. And they were friends. They went to the same church. So they were Jehovah Witnesses. So they weren't like going to church. But anyway, and and um, they had sons about the same age. And the boss's son was really an oppressor to this coworker's son, and. He hated this kid, right? So we're driving into the shop. It's a big place out in the country. Driving down this driveway, and the, kid, the kids left his toys out in the driveway. So, of course, I'm not driving. So my coworker was like, he'd say, guess they're going to Target tonight. You know, so. Yes, yes. You know, he was, he was that angry. Yeah. Uh, he was that angry, and he wanted that kind of retribution. <laughs> that was his response to abuse to power. No, he wasn't on them. The whole time I'm just going like this, going, I can't believe it. Yeah, I can believe it. Anyway, um, it got worse, but I can't tell you that story. Okay, <laughs> so anyway. Um, but, you know, I mean, what, what do you do? When you, when you, or do you do anything? Or maybe you don't want to comment, and that's fine. We can keep moving. I mean, what? Run over, pray? You didn't run over the toys. You prayed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that situation. I didn't want to run over her toys. I wanted to run over her. But um, such as it is. But then you pray. Um, but the thing is, is when you're in that process of trying to pray through a situation, I don't know about you. I can only speak for myself. Most of the time, it's not very comforting. I guess I get a little bit of comfort of knowing that I, I think I'm doing the right thing here. Still doesn't feel any better. At least I don't think it feels better. Still want to run her over. But anyway... Uh, and not the poor kids' toys, but um, 
And, and so then he, he goes extreme here. Now, that is not uncommon in Jewish literature to go to the hyperbole to stress the point. Jesus did it a few times in the Gospels. But you, you will go to the extreme to really make the point. Therefore, I praise the dead who were already dead. Well, thanks a lot. You know, what are you supposed to do with that? Now, but remember, um, verses really 18 of chapter 3. Kind of leads up to it, but verse 19. For what happens to the sons of men happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Uh, verse 20, all go to one place, all are from the dust, all return to the dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men which go upward, verse 21, and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So he, he's revisiting, he's, he hasn't really left this theme, right? He's, he's, that's why I'm saying that these first few verses probably could have been tacked on to chapter 3, but I wasn't consulted on this, right? So such as it is. But therefore, I praise the dead more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. What do you read there? Do you read anger or heartache or neither? Or something? What? Sadness, which could incorporate both, actually, right? Sadness. Anything else? Pity. Regret. Frustration. Sadness, pity, regret, frustration, anger. I said sadness, right? Um, anything else? What is he dealing with here? Let's take the lens and back it up, way back it up. So... Instead of being close up, let's back it up and, and talk about an overarching theme. I think he's talking about the results of the fall. Is what he's really referring to. Um, and, and he might be even hinting at this idea of part of what happened in the fall, Genesis chapter two and three, excuse me, on the day that you eat this fruit, you will surely what? Die. Before that, they did not die. And, and so I think he's, there might be an, a comparison going on here before, before, a comparison between, excuse me, man before the fall, man after the fall. That might be part of what he's, implying now that your mileage really might vary okay but that's kind of what i get out of this again i'm as i mentioned last week to ken some of this is very philosophical in his writing but also excuse me it is not it's a very thin line for the philosopher to cross over into the poet and i think he's speaking particularly here i think he's speaking much more poetically and we would 
we would do well, I think, to read it as such, uh, rather than, than, than these are hard and fast, etched in stone declarations of the condition of humanity. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily what he's saying here. Because he, he's recognizing that even, at, even with him being the, the king, I want to say the top dog, if you will, that he, he sees all this stuff happening with both the lack of comfort for, for definitely the oppressed, possibly the oppressor as well, depending on how you read it, of course. Uh, be better if, for those who were dead or better if you were never born so you never saw this. I think, I think part of what he is... He, now, this is a very deep lament as well. That's why I brought up the idea of, of lament in the, in the Psalms. Um, and he'll snap out of this in a verse or two, but he's, he's deeply lamenting here. And I, I think, to add to what you were saying uh, <clears throat> on that, Cindy, I think he was, he was even considering his own incapacity to fully bring in a, a just kingdom and his own futility and his own shortcomings and... Um, And he, he might be, and I'm a, this is a speculation, he might be wearing his, his emotions on his sleeve in regards to the full success of the kingdom and the citizens of the kingdom and feeling incredibly responsible and recognizing that he cannot cover every base. Which, so that, that's, real, that's a real possibility. I, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, there's a lot of frustration there. Um, a lot of, uh, and yet he's not making, I don't believe, your mileage may vary, he's not making absolute statements. He's expressing the lament of his heart, which is a very different way to view this rather than, than some of the theological writings that we looked at, for instance, in Romans. So, um, And I would be willing to bet that probably all of us have felt this way in some way, shape, form sometime in our lives. Um, and if you haven't, either you're really weird <laughs> or you're more stable than anybody I've ever known or it's coming. One of the three is coming. Um, Or did we leave the light on? No. Uh, yeah, I turned. No, the light's on, but nobody's at home, and that's that's a possibility, you know. And again, um, what is really interesting is that part of his reflection of any kind of hope is this this idea of um, verse seventeen, chapter three, again. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, and there is a time for every purpose and for every work. And verse 15, God requires an account of what is past. And he really, he, so he, he's, he's really kind of reflecting more on this idea of judgment, but judgment that happens after people die. 
Um, I, I remember in the church group that we were once a part of, I had a friend of mine, we, we weren't really good friends, but anyway, I felt like we were friends to a degree. He said to me, things are not going to change until we have a few funerals, is what he told me. Unfortunately, his was one of the first. Uh, he got, ended up with kidney cancer and, and passed away. Um, uh, really a good man, but, um, but nonetheless, that was, you know, he, w- he was kind of hoping, uh, it, it, hoping things would change, but realizing those who were in the, the place of power, um, that it was highly unlikely that anything was going to change. And that's, that's, a very, that's a very frustrating place to be when you're a part of a church movement. You know, um, when you have no voice. And uh, if you haven't figured out by now, yes, I'm talking about Calvary Chapel. But anyway, uh, when you have no voice, but nonetheless, you have all these things that are going on that just, just don't add up. Um, so, you know, he was hoping for their death, but God called him home first. Um, which I'm going to have that. I'm going to have it. We're going to have an interesting conversation when we both get to heaven. Why do you think? Anyway, but uh, we'll see how it unfolds. Again, verse 4. So now he's kind of going back. Again, he's further reflecting. I saw that for all toil and every skilled work a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping of the wind. I'm going to let him go for now. Maybe we'll, we'll look at him because we'll go Actually, we, we see this again later. So, um, again, I saw that for all the toil, every skilled work, a man is envied by his neighbor. Um, so, is that a... So, what he's saying here is that the work and skillful, skillfulness that a person, that a man has, is due to envy or jealousy. Now, is that true in every... Would you say that that's true in every? The, I'm going to read, read it. Matter of fact, I think the ESV said it a little differently. Um, Cindy, you want to read the first part of since I'm having trouble? Okay, that does say it a little bit plainer, doesn't it? He saw that all the, uh, all the skill and all the work was due to envy, of, of, of a man's envy of his neighbor. Um, is that true in every case? Rivalry. Go ahead and read it. Right. It's the other way around, which I... So that's... And again, I... I I look at the Hebrew and I'm just like, and maybe I should have gone to the Greek and that would have helped me and gone to the Septuagint, but it might have had a totally different translation. But so for our purposes, let's flip, let's put that both ways. 
You do a good job, your neighbor envies you. You are motivated to do a good job and be skilled in your work because of the envy you have for your neighbor. Either way, still, that what's the element there? It's, it is the idea of envy and jealousy. Is that, is that true in every case? I don't... It's Solomon's observation. Well, it, again, it, but it is inspired, too. So there's always... Yeah. Right. He's, he's making observations. And Bill said, I think there is to some degree. Now... I think I'm a better preacher than some of the other guys in this town. I do. Do I envy them? But do you, would I, would, would I want to say to anyone, well, yeah, you can come and visit our church. I'm not really good. And the other guys over here, they're much better. And which is actually, I hear that from time to time. There, I, have a, I have a word for that. It's called false humility. Um, there's other words for that. But we won't go there. But anyway, um, I, I wouldn't want to say, yeah, yeah, I teach, but I'm not really good. I'm not really good at it, you know, and I, I don't really study, and I don't want to really improve. And I like being, I really like being mediocre. Yeah, well, it's about time you did. But, I mean, but in your jobs, were you a mediocre master chief? Thanks for that. Are you a mediocre uh, janitor? At least you've told me that your boss tells you that you're not. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you tell him it's because you're getting well fed here. How's that? Anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, y- y- I think is there is it's easy to be in a place where we can get competitive. It's very easy because we're social people, and we always want to establish ourselves. Ra- rather than being a mediocre chief, <laughs> master chief, we just went along from day to day without no thought for the future. Um, next thing you know, we had 30 years in. It's, oh, it's time to get out, I guess. And, uh, and, and, and so I, I think there is in most of us. Now, who was it? You, yeah, you, weren't you saying that there, you were with a, uh, you, had, you, Cousin Tim, you had a, a co-worker that said, oh, no, it was Brian. They said, I'm only getting paid X amount of money, and so I'm not going to work any harder than what I think X amount of money is worth. I think it's sad. I think it's sad. Um, I used to work for a guy. He was the music director at the church. That was, gives you how long ago it was. It was a music director. They didn't have worship leaders then. They, anyway. Um, 
and we were working construction together, and they hired this guy named Rigo. Rigo was a great guy, but Rigo got $8 an hour. That's all he got. But then again, that was, we're talking about the 80s. And so the guy I worked with was a foreman, but he got demoted, so he got paid the same, as money, same amount of money as Rigo. So he came up with the saying, eight bucks, you get Rigo. But anyway, um, needless to say that he did not, uh, this, he, he did not want to establish himself in, as a career in that company, nor in that career field. Uh, eventually he got out of it. Um, but anyway, um, I think there is that drive that we have, but it can also, it, it's a fine line. I think there is a fine line. I think there is um, this idea of doing well. Um, you know, you didn't want to be the worst store. That was, what was it, two or three? <laughs> Somewhere, yeah, so, <laughs> which, which is almost a corporate political game. It was a total game, you know? So when you were number one, there's the envy factor of everybody trying to knock you off. So, and then number 10, you might as well, you know, find another place to work. So, You know, so he's, he's uh, where did I end up? Oh, there it is. So he is, I think, touching on the aspect of the work that we do. There is this idea that envy is drawn into it. And then, uh, but, but he says it is vain. It's vain. Not that the skilled work is vain. Not that work itself is vain. But this, 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 weird sense of competition that we have in our heads, either with ourselves or with others. Now we're going to see in a minute, we've got a few minutes left, we're going to see in a minute where somebody is almost like having this weird competition with themselves. But he's saying that that's vain. He's not saying that the work is vain, but he's saying that, I believe anyway, that... um, when you take... Okay, follow my thought here. Torah talks about those who were skilled in the different arts, the metal workers, the woodworkers, and that they were, they were commissioned to build the tabernacle. Apparently, these were skilled craftsmen. And it talked about the Spirit of God being upon them. Okay? So... You have this spiritual gifting, this spiritual enabling, where where you are. Uh, these men were operating in their God-given gifts. But the problem with operating in your God-given gifts is you have to remember the giver, and you have to remember um, that God has given. Each of us a particular lot. Joshua is really big on this. God gives us a particular lot in life. Um, what in the world is that? Okay. Oh, the paint crew. Okay, uh, for the street. Okay, so God has given us a a, a, um, a particular gifting and and. 
the way to stay out of the envy and the jealousy and the competition thing is to simply do your work as unto the Lord and not worry about um, this kind of stuff. Um, and then it says, the fool folds his hands. As my hands are, well, they're not folded. Uh, the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. What is he talking about here? To a degree, yes. Um, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Whenever I'm going to lay down and take a nap, like on the couch, and there's that tendency to go like this, I'm like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> Proverbs 24:33 says the same thing. It says, a little folding of the hands to rest instead of sleep. So it's a, it's a sign of, of someone who is more um, consumed or more uh, focused on taking the nap than getting the job done. And this idea of folding his hands... He consumes his own flesh. Why? Because he's not out working to feed himself. Therefore, his body is starving. Um, and we were talking about this last night with, with someone we know that when you don't eat, your body starts to feed on itself. And that could very well be what, what he's talking about here. So, it, um, so there... You have the skilled worker compared to the one who's just opted out. Uh, the contrast between overly, am, overly ambitious uh, ambitiousness, overly ambitiousness which causes competition, and someone who is basically just checked out and doesn't care. And, and how both of them, both extremes. Now, he's using two extremes here. said so both of them, there's, there's, there's problems with that. There's vanity in that. So this is a, a calling. I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. It's a calling toward the middle. You know, don't be, don't be so overzealous that you've got to be the best whatever. And, and that becomes your, your main focus. Because we'll look at this in a second where he talks about that again. And don't be, don't be so lazy. Um, better a handful of quietness than both hands full together with toiling and grasping the wind. So the person who's able to work really, you know, work really hard, amass a whole bunch of things, and yet um, doesn't have quietness. What does he mean by quietness? Peace, tranquility. What was that saying that you, one of your those, one of your authors that you read? Quiet and peaceful, um, quiet and peaceful heart. Or some, you remember? No, went to the well one time too often on that one. Okay, 
But yeah, uh, this idea of a quiet and peaceful heart, um, I, I know people that it's like they always have to have something to divert them. They get up, they got to turn on the TV, they turn on the radio, they got to look at the internet, whatever the case, right? Um, they don't want to be alone with their own thoughts. And I think part of this quietness is God has called us to be alone with our own thoughts from time to time so that in those thoughts we might be able to seek him. And it's a call, a call toward a, 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 a quiet and gentle spirit. That's what it was. Uh, to where in our quietness we can seek him. Um, yeah, be still and know that I am God. Exactly. So then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun and there was um, there isn't a ton here but because well no I actually I actually think I'm going to stop I know it's I know you're I'm I'm shortchanging you by 2 minutes and we did but I but, <laughs> what? You're keeping track. So, especially after the the, the mediocre, never thinking existence, never thinking about the future. That was good. <laughs> I mean, he he looked so serious when he said it too. I was like, <laughs> did you? You must have been an interesting master chief. <laughs> what? Yeah, but you were destined to be one. So there you have it. So, um, yeah, I I think there's, I want to get the running start on verse 7 and then finish the chapter next week. 